Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. So we discussed uh, some things last week uh, about conflict. And I had talked about how conflict is, you may or may not have heard about that kind of growing up in the church, and, but we want to look at an in-depth study on how to handle conflict because conflict is in the Bible. Um, there is conflict. Even some of what I would say is my Bible heroes uh, have had conflict throughout the scriptures. And so uh, when I look at them, the ones that were closest to Jesus, I think, man, you and I don't have a chance, <laughs> you know, because we're, we're going to have to deal with some conflict um, as we're on our way in the sanctification process. And so um, just to kind of quickly recap some of the examples that I used last week about uh, conflict was, number one, God and Satan, number two, God and man, and I, I broke those down in detail, and you can co go back if you didn't hear it and go back and listen last week. Um, God and man, number two. Number three, Cain and Abel. Number four, Joseph and his brothers. Number five, Abraham and Lot, the uh, quarrel between the shepherds. Uh, number six, Moses and Pharaoh. Uh, seven, Moses and the children of Israel rebelling against he and Aaron. Eight, Korah. Uh, lead, the rebellion leading uh, against uh, Moses and Aaron. Jesus and the culture, number nine. Jesus and Peter, number 10. Uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate and the people, number 11. Paul and Peter, number 12. 13, Paul and Barnabas. And number 14, Paul uh, and the Corinthian church. So uh, we unpacked that a lot last week. There is a lot of conflict. Now, what we're going to accomplish, just so that you know, uh, kind of the, because the, I had a lot of people either had, have comments or questions from last week, um, you know, telling me that they're in a situation right now dealing with certain conflict and, you know, how they would handle that or how they have handled it. And so just so that you know, kind of last week, the purpose of that was to really answer the question, is there conflict in the Bible and what does the Bible have to say about that conflict, Okay. Um, but this week and, and the next time, uh, weeks two and three, it's what does the Lord want for his children, you and I, and how we should view conflict from a biblical perspective. Because we, we figured out that conflict is in the Bible, right? You guys know I like participation, right? Okay. <laughs> we, we learned that, that there is conflict in the Bible, emphatic head nodding, thank you, uh, and so now it's, it's okay, what, how, do, how are we supposed to view it? How does God want us to view conflict so that we can move to the fourth week, which is going to be the practical application on conflict resolution and what the Bible has to say about how we actually go about conflict resolution. Because the purpose of the church, one of the purposes of the church is to stand in the unity of the faith. And there's a lot of conflict. We talked about uh, last week that I would say that the conflict pretty well got amped up after 2020, yeah? There are a lot of things that we could have conflict about. 
and and so a um, lot of opportunities to uh, be a testimony for the Lord, right, and not ruin our witness. God help me. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Uh, thank you for bringing the Freemans safe and sound back home, uh, and the Zables and everyone else who is traveling. Um, Lord, when they're, when they're not here, we miss them because they're part of our family. Thank you for knitting us together here at New City. Um, you are the, the bond because of you in us, Lord, that we all can, can look to one another and, and be so thankful that we have that ironing, sharpening iron type of relationship together that helps us push each other towards you, God. And as we get closer, that sometimes it's painful to have those things removed uh, that don't look like you. But I th- I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters that are able to speak when I have a blind spot to be able to speak into my life and that I don't pick up that offense, Lord, but that we would understand how you would view conflict and how that we should deal with that so that we could come back together in the unity of the faith. Lord, have your way today and that your word would penetrate our hearts so that we would be forever changed, that we would continue to press on towards you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, uh, and I'll apologize ahead of time. Aaron was telling me that he was having some trouble following me because um, you may not know this, but sometimes I talk away from my notes, and he was like, man, I didn't know what slide you were on, so I'm going to try and do a better job uh, today. So last week, we, uh, we had picked up at the point where we were talking about our feelings. And our feelings sometimes will lead us to hang on to bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And a lot of people are led by their feelings. Don't raise your hands if you know anyone like that. Um, We even say a lot that I feel like, and I mentioned last week that I'm personally trying to remove that from my vocabulary because it just kind of bugs me that I'm always saying, well, I kind of feel like, right? And it's like, well, our feelings, we aren't to be led by our feelings. Um, we are to allow the Lord to come in to us, changing us and govern in the way that we act, think, and, and then pr- that produces a result, right? So we're going to be unpacking that today um, and, and talking about the sanctification process because we have to start there if we're going to have um, conflict but then godly resolution, all right? Does that make sense? Okay, so hopefully today um, it'll, uh, it'll come across in a way that makes sense. All right, so uh, biblically we are not led by our feelings. Um, I, I don't have the time today to unpack all the Bible verses that talk about how we should not be led by our feelings, but feelings are fickle and they cannot be trusted. They just can't be trusted. Feelings are fickle. Now, God gave us emotions, God gave us feelings, but those need to be submitted to being led by the Holy Spirit, not by our flesh, amen? Amen. Right? So that's what I mean when we cannot be led by our feelings because we have to place the Holy Spirit in the sanctification process before we even apply a feeling, right? Okay, so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Don't lean on our own understanding. Do not lean on our own feelings. We must lean on the Lord and trust in him. 
So where is understanding? Anyone know where, when you look at the, the, um, the trifurcation of, of our body, um, who knows where our, 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 our <laughs> easy for me to say, right? <laughs> who knows where our understanding is? Anyone? It's the soul. The soul is made up of the mind, which is the understanding, the emotion, and the will. Okay? It's the mind, the emotion, and the will. That's the soul. And I've unpacked this uh, in a message that I did, oh, I think about a year ago, uh, talking about this in much greater detail, which we don't have time to go through today. But the Holy Spirit through Paul was leading up to Ephesians 4.31, which we're going to talk about, and what we should put away as the old man. Okay? Because the only way that we can put away the slander and the clamor and all of these different things is if we put away the old man, right? Does that make sense? Okay. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are a new creation, so it should be pretty easy to put away the old man. <laughs> oh, that's a joke. It's not easy. Um, so the things mentioned in, in Ephesians 4.3, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. So why are we starting in Ephesians? Because many, many of the ancient manuscripts of the letter do not contain the words at Ephesus, like a lot of the letters do. And so as a result, it's probably best to view this letter written to all the Christians in Asia Minor. So it was the totality of the Christians, with Ephesus being the primary or first recipient of that, and the unity of the faith is the purpose in chapter 4, the unity of the faith. We talked about last week the fellowship and the unity that we need to have and conflict has the potential of breaking that unity apart, right? See, that's why this is so important. Because I see a lot of people that have a conflict and then split. And I talked about last week that that's where denominations even came from. It's like, I'm going to gravitate towards this one point of my own interpretation, and now we're going to build a doctrine around it. And then over here, they're going to have be the church of the West, and these people are the church of the East, and we don't, co- we don't coexist together We're just off here doing our thing, and they're off doing their thing, and it's all based off of conflict and interpretation issues. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about how we need to be in fellowship with one another, that it's disobedient if we're not in fellowship with one another, that we need to strive for the unity of the faith, which is what Ephesians 4 talks about. So Ephesians 4, 1 um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, I therefore... The prisoner, and I don't think this is in the notes, so some of this I added uh, yesterday. <laughs> so, 4, 1 through 6, Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Pretty clear, right? We're not to have division amongst us. So I'd say that conflict resolution is pretty important. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, thank you for that response. All right, so we're going to pick up. Now, what I wanted to do to lead up into 431, chapters 4, verse 31, I wanted to start a little bit 
uh, before that to, to provide context. And I know Matt's rolling his eyes right now when I say the word context. Uh, <laughs> I'm so thankful for Matt because I will tell you, he is um, one of the best friends that I have that we are constantly in a debate <laughs> about things. And some of you have even been around us when we've been in those type of discussions. But I, I so value that because there's not someone that sharpens me. And, and we've talked about this, so I'm not, but, but me and, and, and him are able to sharpen each other and we don't get offended. We don't get offended. We're able to, and we, t- we say some pretty hard things to each other. For those of <laughs> Aaron's smiling. For those of you who've been around us at times. But we have to dive in. We can't be afraid of having these hard conversations so that we can push each other towards the Lord. We're not meant to do this alone, right? Okay, so anyway, the reason that I bring up context is because if, you were, if I was to say the word bar, what would you think of, right? We have a, if I say the word bar, there's a, a candy bar. There's a, a bar where some people, no one in here, may consume beverages. Um, there's a, a bar like a bar you hold on to. Um, there's the bar exam uh, that, that lawyers have to pass, right? And so how do you know which bar that I'm talking about? Context, right? The Greek word that is woven together. So context matters in this case. So I'm going to be bringing some context about putting away the old man. And we're going to start with uh, Ephesians 4.20. But you have not so learned Christ. Uh, 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So the old man grows according to the deceitful lusts. We talked about that, that our sinful flesh came all the way back from the garden. <clears throat> talked about that last week. So I broke down some things. So to put off the old man and put on the new man This has the same idea of putting off or putting on a set of clothes. The idea is to change into a different kind of conduct. Think of a prisoner who is released from prison but but still wears his prison clothes and acts like a prisoner and not as a free man. The first thing to tell that person is that they should put on some new clothes, (laughs) right? Okay? You know, my dad used to tell me kind of growing up that he told me to wear a suit a lot of the time. And it was, you know, I, I realized different generation, but the way that people not only treat you when you wear a suit, but also how you feel when you wear a suit. You feel a little bit different. And I, I always like to wear a suit. He also said things like stand closer to your razor and here's a comb to comb your hair, things like that too. But uh, it wasn't just always about the suit. But I didn't notice that. I felt a little bit different when I would put on certain clothes, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. <clears throat> how do you put off the old man? By being in the Word. We've got to be in the Word every single day. Every single day. We have to be in the Word. <clears throat> that is the process called the sanctification process, and it takes daily submission to the Lord and His Word to have long-lasting change. In the meantime, there are certain behaviors to start or stop or put on some new clothes. So, you know, if... If a man is beating his wife, okay, you don't go to that person and say, you know, 
I know you're in the sanctification process, so we'll just wait maybe a few months or years from now for the Lord to change you because I know that right now you're still on that journey and maybe you haven't gotten to that place where he's transformed that part of you. No, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, stop beating your wife, right? So there, it, it, it is a, a commingling here. There's certain behaviors that we need to do and act like as a Christian because we saw, call ourselves a follower of Christ, right? But here's the, and this is where a lot of people stop, is that we look for, and I talked about this last week, that we get our action steps, we get, you know, how to, six action steps on how to be a better husband, 10 steps to be a better father. We get all these different steps, right? But that's not sustaining, the way to have long-lasting change is for the Holy Spirit. You change from the inside out, and that's what organically it means to live by the Spirit. That's what it is. See, if you were to gain the nature of the cat and you put the cat nature into the dog, you wouldn't have to tell the dog to meow like a cat. See, and if you took the dog nature and you put it into the cat, what do you think the cat would do? <laughs> one of many things, right? He'd bark and he'd act like a dog, right? Because he now has the dog nature. See, that's what it's like as we get closer to the Lord in the sanctification process is that we're gaining Christ's nature. That's what Paul meant to live is Christ. He didn't mean that he was part of the deity now, that he was part of the Godhead. Living is Christ, meaning that he was being transformed from the inside out and he was living out the fruit of the Spirit organically. See, and if we try to manufacture our fruit to keep those six steps, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I fail by Wednesday. Those action steps do not work long term. And we're going to break this apart here a little bit more even as we go. But the action steps do not. So, so yes, that person needs to stop beating their wife but eventually, in the sanctification process, because that's not long-lasting change, only the Holy Spirit can change you for long-lasting change. And like the song we talked about, burn you know, everything that stands in the way from knowing you, is that my desires, by being in the, in the Word of God, my desires are today not what they were two years ago, because He's changing me from the inside out. Now, don't get me wrong, I am a massive work in progress. I make lots of mistakes. <laughs> I thought I'd get an emphatic nod from my wife. Um, I make <laughs> lots of mistakes. But we're all in this journey together, right? We all have to be in the Word because it is the only thing that has the transformative power that Romans 12 talks about. Right? Is this making sense? Okay. So fundamentally, Paul says that for a Christian, there must be a break from the past. Jesus isn't merely added to our life. The old life dies and he becomes our new life. Did you get that? He's not added to our life. Now, if anybody has this bumper sticker, please don't take offense because it's just my own little pet peeve. But, you know, I would always see the bumper stickers that would say, God is my co-pilot. Look, he's not merely added to my life. I don't want him to be my co-pilot. I want him to be my pilot. He is, forever will be, my God, my Savior, and I submit to his will, not the other way around. Okay? So, fundamentally, he's not to be added to our life. 
the old life dies and he becomes our new life. Amen? All right, Ephesians 4.20. Um, oh, wait. Oh, yes. But you have not so learned Christ. Um, so point B there. Yes. <clears throat> so the repetition of this idea shows that putting on the new man has a strong aspect of learning and education to it. Right? Because he said you have not so learned Christ. So there's an education element there. You have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, so now these, this raises some questions, though. How do we put off the old man? How are we regenerated by the Holy Spirit? How do we live him out? What does this mean, that renewed in the spirit of your mind? <clears throat> the Ephesians learned Christ, not only learning about Jesus, but also learning him. And this means a living and abiding knowledge of Jesus will keep us from the kind of sinful conduct that Paul speaks of. Just knowing about Jesus isn't enough to keep us pure. It's not enough. We have to abide in him. We have to know him. Throughout the day, when you're getting out of the car, oh, Lord Jesus, help me walk into this building. Let me be an example and a light for you. Walk with him. Abide in him. Live him out. <clears throat> so if you want, I love this quote, so if you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you must live with him. First, he must himself speak to you, and afterwards, you must abide in him. He must be the choice companion of the morning hours. He must be with you throughout the day, and with him, you must also close the night. And as often as you, wake, as you may wake during the night, you must say, when I wake, I am still with thee. Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So how does that work? Okay, so I talked about this a little bit last, last the message I was talking about uh, before, not last week, but bef before that. Romans 7. We all know, we've heard of the, of the struggle with Paul, right? He was, he was having the struggle with himself, and he was talking about, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I end up doing, I don't want to do. Um, so Romans 7, and, and specifically in, in 7.15 for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is Paul. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He's saying nothing good dwells in his flesh. 21. Oh, wait. I lost my place. Thank you. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So, this is where we talk about there are three laws that are identified in Romans 7. I find then a law <clears throat> that the evil is present with me, the one who wills to, to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. So he sees the law of God. He's recognizing that there are laws, and he sees that there is the law of God. Okay, that's law number one. But then, I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members. So that's law number two. I see another law that's in my members. We all agree the law that's in, in my members is not the will of God. 
right? Because he, dis- he, he distinctly uh, uh, bifurcates that or delineates between those things. <clears throat> but I see another law in my members, against, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. O wretched man, that's the third law. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So here's what's happening. Paul is saying, I don't want to do these things because I end up doing these things, and the things that I do, I don't want to do. So he's on this hamster wheel, right? Because everything that he tries to do, that's canceled out by his flesh. So here are the three laws. There's the law of God that he recognizes. There's the law of his mind wanting to do the law of God. That's the second law. So he's got the law of God, law of the mind wanting to do the law of God, but every time the third law, it's, 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 it falls apart because the law of sin and death in his members. That's the third law. That's the cycle. Law of God, wanting to do the law of God with the law of my mind, but canceled out because the law of sin and death in my members. Don't you, don't I, don't we, or is anyone else with me that I can get caught on a hamster wheel going, God, why can't I stop doing that? I don't want to do that. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. And that's where a lot of times I see things stop. We're just talking about Romans 7. We're talking about those laws, and it's like, oh, okay, well, let me go back and see if I can do my, my six steps to be better, you know, because I want to do the law of God because of the law of my, of, of my mind, and, but it's canceled out with the law of sin and death of my members. It's not till Romans 8 that we see the solution. <clears throat> there, is a, there, there is therefore now no condemnation, condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 2. For the law, it's the fourth law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That is the law that breaks the hamster, the hamster wheel, breaks the cycle. See, we try to manufacture the fruit because our law, the law of our mind wants to do the law of God, but we can't. We can't. So it stands to reason that why do I want to continue to hear action steps that don't produce long-lasting fruit in my life so that I can get closer to the Lord, which then he burns away all the things that, don't li- that he doesn't like that shouldn't remain. That's it. Even Paul dealt with it. The only thing, if you want to do better in this area, if you want to stop doing this, right, fill in the blank, be in the word. You want to be a better husband, be in the word. You want to be an intentional father, be in the word. You want to be kind to others, be in the word. You want to have good conflict resolution. It's got to start by being in the word. You have to be in the word. And there is no substitute for being in the word because there's nothing else that's transformative like the word of God. Again, 12, uh, Romans 12 talks about. But it's the law of the spirit of life. So be in the word every day, be transformed by renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 24. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Three times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks of the new man. No, I'm not there yet. I was looking to see because I think I added some things that I don't have. In, sorry. Um, 
So three times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit speaks of the new man. Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Colossians 3.10, and, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And Ephesians 4.24, and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so we can go to the, the, the graph now, Aaron. Okay, so here are the parts of man. All right, so we talked about the soul. The soul is made up of the mind, the emotion, and the will. Okay, and there's a correlation to the Old Testament temple. All right, so we are the, the temple, right? Right, if you're a believer, we are the temple. Our body is the temple. Well, so when you look at this, our, our soul makes up our mind, emotion, and our will. But we also have three parts of our spirit. And uh, you can get all the Bible verses from that in the, the last message that I did on this. But uh, spirit, you have conscience, fellowship, and intuition. Those are the three parts that make up your spirit. Your human spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is your human spirit. We have our spirit, soul, and body, right? Right? Okay, so we are, are, are tripart beings, spirit, soul, and body. And in the spirit, we have fellowship, intuition, and, 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 and conscious, conscience. Okay, now the heart actually is the link between the spirit and the soul. Okay, so the heart contains the element of the conscience, and the rest of the heart contains all of the soul. So, when you look at the Old Testament temple, you had the outer court, which is the soul. You had the holy place, which is the body. And you had the holy of holies, which was the spirit. That was the place where the Shekinah glory of God rested, was in the holy of holies. Well, that's actually where the Holy Spirit starts regenerating us. Regenerating us in our spirit, in our human spirit, and he's regenerating our spirit so that it floods into all of the other faculties of your being. You can't manufacture. See, when we get six action steps, it's up in our soul. So you have to ask this question when you go to a great worship experience or you hear a great message or something like that. You have to ask yourself, was that a soulish experience or was that a spirit-led one? Because that's where the action steps start, is in the soul. But we bypass what the Lord wants to do in our life by the regeneration of our spirit. And we cannot get that unless we're in the word of God every single day. <clears throat> and the veil is actually the conscience. I don't have time to go uh, through that in more detail, but that's why I talk about this as a recipe for dealing with conflict because you have to start in the word of God. You have to start by being in the word every single day. You have to start by allowing the Holy Spirit to regenerate your human spirit. And so through in the spirit, it flows to our mind. And then our emotions are under the submission of the Holy Spirit and not our flesh. Does this make sense? So when we try to do something 
If you're not in the word, it's only going to be short last. It's only going to be short lived. You're trying to manufacture the fruit. I'm trying to manufacture the fruit instead of actually being led by the spirit and having organic fruit, the fruit of the spirit. Okay? All right. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Right? Unity of the faith. Therefore, putting away lying, the new man tells the truth. The motive for doing this is because we are members of one another. Therefore, there is no place for lying. A body can only function properly if it tells itself the truth. You thought about that? The body can only function if one of the other members tells the truth. It's like, you know, I can move my hand, and I know that signals are coming from my brain. Matt could probably unpack this even in more depth than me. <laughs> but, you know, there's signals coming from my brain that are coming, traveling down my arm that are actually telling my hand that it should do something. You imagine if my mind started lying to my hand, my leg started moving. <laughs> It doesn't work like that. The body has to tell the truth. I just think that is so fascinating. There was no accidents when God created you and me. It's so, so fascinating to me. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not, let, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Married couples, families, we can't let the enemy gain a foothold by not resolving before we go to bed. And it doesn't matter how tired we are. Like, we'll get into that more in the fourth week. Ephesians 4.27, nor give a place to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. The new man may get angry, but does not sin. The man knows how to let go of his wrath, thus giving no opportunity to the devil. Here it is suggested that anger can be prevented from degenerating into sin if a strict time limit is placed on it. Do not let the sun Go down on your anger. If you don't want to fall into your flesh, we just have to do what the Word of God says, right? I know, it sounds so simple. Then why is it so hard? Because that's what the enemy wants to do, is put blinders on us and do everything that he can do to keep us from being in the Word. That's why he changes the Word. He is the father of lies. The only way that we can combat that, those lies is for us to be in the Word of God because that is truth. He is truth. And his Word is truth. Amen? The devil's work is to accuse and divide the family of God, how to sow discord among them. When we harbor anger in our heart, we do the devil's work for him. Do the devil's work for him. We have to resolve. We have to come together. We cannot let things stand in the way for resolution, for the unity of the faith. And aren't we all on the same path? Aren't we all running towards the same Lord? Aren't we all wanting to get closer to him no matter the cost? If you're not there, I pray that you would because the water is fine. Jump in. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So breaking this down, let him who stole steal no longer. The new man does not steal, but he works with his hands. He does this not only to provide for his own needs, but also to have something to give him who has need. Let him labor. Labor is literally to exert himself to the point of exhaustion. 
this is the kind of working heart God commands those who used to steal to have, who used to steal to have. Paul's idea is that we should work so that we can give, and the purpose for getting becomes giving. See, why are we talking about all this? Because Ephesians is unpacking what it is like to live putting away the old man, living in the new man. And it's all for the purpose of the unity of the faith. All of it. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The new man knows how to watch his tongue, speaking only what is good for necessary edification, desiring to impart grace to all who hear. Now, I know everybody in here, you guys are experts at all these things. So I don't know even why I'm covering it, to be honest. I, uh, Lord, help me. I'm looking at this and goes, oh, okay, well, I'm failing at all of these. <laughs> all right. Uh, corrupt communication, not only obscene vulgarity, but slanderous and contemptuous talk. Right? We don't want to be having contemptuous talk or slanderous um, towards other people. Slander. Ephesians 4.30, uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So I want to talk a little bit about this point here because I hear a lot of, you know, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit and kind of what does this mean and, and all of this. And it just happens to come up in Ephesians 4.30 here, which is our text. And so point either, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The new man will not grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, because what is the new man? Putting away the flesh, right? You're living out the fruit of the Spirit. So it doesn't grieve the Spirit. <clears throat> knowing that he is our seal, both in the sense of identification and protection. There are many ways to grieve the Holy Spirit. We can neglect holiness and grieve the Holy Spirit. We can think in purely materialistic terms and grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit exalts Jesus, John 15, 26. When we fail to do the same, we grieve the Spirit. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes... Doing a great job, Aaron. Thank you. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will testify of me. So think about this. When you're doing other things and you glance over and there's your Bible unread, you don't have time for prayer, the Word, abiding in him, etc. But the Spirit sees you very active about worldly things. Now, we think of worldly things like, oh, we're, we're maybe watching the movie that we shouldn't, or we're doing something that's bad, or, you know, maybe, maybe we're drinking too much or whatever. That's not just the worldly things. The worldly things are also the seemingly good things that in, are in our lives that have snuck in where our life doesn't look like anyone else, or our life looks like everyone else in Edmond. So sometimes those things that are the seemingly good things are still worldly because those things become a distraction or can become a distraction from the things that matter most. And those things are the hardest to spot sometimes because they're good. <laughs> they're good things by definition, right? In other words, if I end up putting my family you guys, for those of you who know me, I'm passionate about family. If I put my family before my time with the Lord, then I put my family as an idol before the King of Kings. 
that's the world system. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that I'm focused on my family? It's a good thing. But if I'm putting it out of its proper priority, it is a distraction that the enemy can use so that I do not grow in the sanctification process. Does that make sense? You guys are really quiet today. So the Spirit sees you very active about the worldly things and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. Hmm. Forgive us, Lord. The Holy Spirit's grief is not of, of a petty, oversensitive nature. Please don't misunderstand. He is grieved with us mainly for our own sakes because he knows the misery that sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sins. So now we come to Ephesians 4.31, which is what I started with. So you kind of get the idea here of the context, right? These are all things putting away our old man, stepping into the new creation of Christ. So let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. The new man has control of his emotions, bitterness, wrath, anger, and so forth. When such things do emerge, he is able to deal with them in a manner glorifying to God. Anger here isn't speaking of anger how we think of it. It's an anger of the natural man. The word is something that you see up there that I can't pronounce. (laughs) But it means the natural disposition, temper, agitation of the soul, any violent emotion or indignation. That's what anger is in the text. The new man operates by renewing of the Holy Spirit and the fruit organically flowing out, like we talked about, right? Romans 8.1, it's the law of the spirit of life. Don't you guys want to get off the hamster wheel? Boy, I do. I do. Thank you, Lord. So Ephesians 4.32, that we need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So here's my question. Do we just forgive and forget? Is that what we do? Is that how conflict resolution works? Do we just forgive and forget? We're told in the scriptures that we need to forgive, and we do. But is that what it really means, forgive and forget? These are one of those things that I've talked about in the past that become kind of like the Christianese verbiage. It's the same thing of like, like gossip. A lot of people have a wrong view of gossip. A lot of people have a wrong view of judging and how that actually plays out according to the scriptures. And I see it misused all the time in the church. We talked about this last week that the people end up using the Bible as a biblical grab bag, ripping scriptures out of context, using it to suit their own needs and trying to apply it to the situation. And that's a violation of God's word. You cannot rip scripture out of its context to just use for whatever you want. Not to mention that's improper. That's not unity of the faith. That's using the Bible, misusing the word of God like Satan does to cause dissension between the believers. Again, I know I looked at a couple of you. It was not like me trying to send a message. 
All right. Um, so the phrase, I asked the question, so do we forgive and so we just forgive and forget? The phrase forgive and forget is not in the Bible. What? It's not in the Bible. <clears throat> forgive is a Christian that doesn't forgive will have a hard time growing. Their relationship with the Lord will be hindered at the very least. So we all know that forgiveness is a biblical principle, amen? All I'm saying is that forgive and forget is not. We cannot selectively delete events from our memory. The Bible says in Hebrews 8.12 that God does not remember our sins. And so Hebrews 8.12 here, for I will be merciful for their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds and I will remember no more. So, but God is still all-knowing. And what we've talked about before is Scripture cannot contradict, right? Scripture cannot contradict itself. If there's, a, if there's a conflict that we're having about Scripture, then one of us is wrong or both of us is wrong. So if God is all-knowing, then how can he forget? Oh, well, I want to scratch my face. Okay. <clears throat> so... Um, Yeah, no, I just, this is the problem of getting off on my notes sometimes. I'm like, come back and I go, where was that mark that I was looking at before? (laughs) Um, Okay, so, oh, yes, okay, here we are. So, but God is still all-knowing. God remembers that we have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, right? But having been forgiven, we are positionally or judicially justified. That's the purpose, That's what it means when he's saying that he doesn't remember our sin because that's linked to condemnation, right? So, having been forgiven, we are positionally or or judicially justified. And if we belong to him in Christ, God does not condemn us for our sins, Romans 8.1. Therefore, is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. So if by forgive and forget, you mean that you choose to forgive and move on with your life, forgetting what lies behind and press on ahead, which is Philippians 3.13, then that's great. However, forgive and forget shouldn't be used improperly. It, see, see, if my business partner, um, if, if he steals from me, do I forgive him? Yeah, I forgive him. Have to, need to, want to. Of course I forgive him. Does that mean that I continue to do business with him? No. No. I forgave him, but that does not mean that I continue to do business with him. So just as God in Christ forgave you, our forgiveness to others is patterned after the forgiveness of Jesus towards us. When we think of the amazing way God forgives us, it is shameful for us to withhold forgiveness from those who have wronged us. So I really want you to understand that I'm not telling you that you shouldn't forgive. No one is hearing that, right? We have to forgive. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. Okay? All right. Hebrews 12, 15, looking carefully. Um lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
So lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, we must live right in regard to the grace of God. This means to diligently keep both ourselves and others from a return to legalism in either outward form or inward attitude that falls short of God's grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. A bitter root is a root that bears bitter fruit. Think about that. If there's bitterness in you, it bears bitter fruit. So it is possible for the seed of bitterness to be sown in a community and, though nothing is immediately apparent, in due time, the inevitable fruit will appear. We have to keep things resolved between us. We have to. We have to. Avoidance, that is, that is not a biblical concept. <clears throat> Bitterness uh, corrupts many rooted in a sense of personal hurt, and many hold on to the bitterness with amazing stubbornness. See, I call it inoculating their belief. So once somebody believes something, then they fortify it, and it gets really hard to penetrate that. Very, very difficult. But if we don't let ourselves get there, then we have a better chance of, of uh, moving on in the unity of the faith. Bitterness, the... the uh, uh, the word here, picria, bitter root that produces bitter fruit, and it can turn into extreme wickedness. Bitterness is a resentful cynicism that results in an intense antagonism or hostility towards others. It grows faster than you realize and keeps you there longer than you are willing to stay by planting strong roots that are harder to uproot. It's dangerous to your life and walk. You can't remove it. Only God can. Only God can. You can allow yourself to go there, but only God can, re can remove it. So we have to be in the word, all right? We should desire peace and unity with one another. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples because you have, if you have love for one another. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Romans 15.5, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. I mean, are you like me when we go down these Bible verses and I'm like, man, we fail at this. The church by and large fails at this. If you want to know how to love someone more, how, would you like to know the answer? How to love someone more? Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Because the Holy Spirit will regenerate your human spirit. It will transfer to the, all the other faculties Mason, of your body, of your... All right. We like to have some fun. Okay. <laughs> and, and you will be living that out, and you will be able to love someone more than you could have if it was just being governed by your flesh. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 
Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Ephesians 4.2, we talked about this, but with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. 1 Corinthians 13.6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. See, if you guys want to know what love really means from a biblical perspective, and I, I know you do, we talked about this last time. The Bible is the ultimate authority, and if you claim to be Christ, a Christ follower, then the Word is your, is your guide. Full stop. It's not up for debate. John 1.1 1, 1 says that He is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's not just words. It's Him, Himself, on paper that I get to literally eat every day by being in His Word that I'm digesting that, it's getting into me, and then I have the benefits and the nourishment from the Word of God. It changes you from the inside out. Changes me from the inside out. If you're trying to live your life and not being in the Word, it doesn't work. It's manufactured fruit, and it won't last. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So if you want to know what the love, love actually means, go to the word of God. It is not what this twisted, messed up version of love has become because of our political, um, <clears throat> it's just not what the world says love is, okay? And they cannot hijack words that God already defined. Conflict without resolution is the antithesis of scripture as outlined in the scripture. There are two places in Scripture how you deal with conflict where sin is involved. There are times when, despite all efforts to reconcile, various issues prevent us from resolving conflict in the church. There are two places in the New Testament that clearly and unambiguously address conflict resolution where sin is involved. Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. 18, 16, But if he will not hear... Take with, one, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. 1817, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Luke 17:3. take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. See, I've heard this a lot of times. <clears throat> Growing up in the church and, and being in the ministry, the, the, the conversation about, okay, if somebody causes or somebody uh, offends you, go to them, you know, work that whole, whole thing out individually, and if they don't, then get two or three witnesses. I will tell you, that is not how people actually play this out. Number one, most people don't even go and deal with the conflict directly with the individual. Shame on us. We've got to go to the individual directly and talk with them. And if somebody else is coming to you and they're trying to talk to you about a conflict, we are just as bad as if we're not steering them back to the person that has had the, they have the issue with. We cannot do this. We can't give an ear to these things without encouraging them to go back to the person that they feel wronged against. And then that's not done. But even if that's done, then the idea of getting a few other people to go with you, like, 
man, it's all laid out for us in Scripture how we deal with conflict. We just don't use it. We don't know it. We don't use it to exercise it. See, and that's the thing, and I said this last week, you can't, how do you, how do you deal with everything that happens today? How do you deal with this in your life? How do you live out the word if you don't know what's in it? How can you be transformed by Christ's redemptive power if we're not in the word knowing what it says and allowing him to change us from the inside out? And it's like, Gosh, Chris, you're talking about this an awful lot. Yes, because this is it. If there's, I'm not smart enough to keep 15 things in front of me throughout the day. I'm just not. But I know that if I look at it from an action steps perspective, there's probably thousands of things that I should put on post-it notes and put on my mirror in the morning. Be better at this. Do this. Love your neighbor. Don't do this. Do this. Do that. Right? It's like, what? I'm not smart enough to do that. Thank God that he knew that I was, I'm not, I'm spitting, (laughs) that that he knew my limitations as a human. All I have to do is focus on one thing, and that is to be in the word and everything else. You know, I was talking to somebody, I was having lunch with a friend of mine, and he was going through a hard time, and the conversation didn't go quite like this, but at the end of it, um, he because he, he was saying things, and I was like, well, just be in the Word. And he'd say, yeah, but, you, you know, you don't know what she does. like, be in the Word. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that. But just like, but this, you don't, I mean, b- b- be in the Word. And he borderline got frustrated with me, like, all, you know, through the lunch. He's like, I, I know, I know, be in the Word. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> be in the Word. It's the only thing. Be in the word. And yet we have substitutes. We, we listen. To, and, and again, I, and I've said this before, I don't have a problem with podcasts or devotions. I don't have issues with that. I don't have a problem with worship. Gosh, we, the Lord gives us songs and we, we, by his grace and mercy, we lead worship. I don't have a problem with it. But that's not what the Bible says that will change us and make us more like him. The only thing, it's not a great devotion, it's not a great podcast, it's not a great worship experience, it's nothing. Romans 12 says it's the renewing of our mind, being in the word. Romans is a book of salvation, unpacking everything that we need to do and being transformed, living out, and being broken by that hamster wheel because it's the law of the spirit of life. That's the word. That's the only thing. We Okay. I try, I'm really trying not to look at people specifically, but I know I am, and so you can talk to me afterwards. It's okay. Uh, now, here's the other thing with Matthew 18, and I'm going to talk about this more as these weeks unfold. We also should not be so quick to be offended. We should not be picking up offenses. See, and it's happened. I mean, when Matt and I get in, in conversations, I call them debates, and he goes, I'm not debating. <laughs> but Randy's laughing because she knows it's, that's how our conversations go. But we have these, these, these healthy discussions, iron sharpening iron, and it's always about, man, I'm excited to come out on the other side with it, of this with you. And I will tell you, our wives have said, <sighs> I mean, they're like sweating, <laughs> and they're like, okay, 
there's, a, there's about 10 times in this conversation that one of you could have easily picked up an offense. And it's just, we don't pick up offenses. Because I know and trust the Lord that is in Matt. And he trusts and he knows, yes, he makes mistakes. Yes, I make mistakes. But we're sharpening each other to grow in the unity of the faith because I don't want to be the same that I am today, tomorrow. And he's put the body of Christ and all of us together so that we can push together, that we can grow together, that we can know him more. And using people to help die to my own flesh. My family helps me die to my flesh. My wife really helps me die to my flesh every day. (laughs) Love you. But it is, right? Because we're rooted in selfishness because that's generated from the flesh, our sinful old man that we need to put off. And how do we put it off? See, this isn't just about conflict today. You can come up, Mason, if you want. This isn't just about conflict today. This is about lots of things that, that is outlined by the Holy Spirit through Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Yes, we are talking about conflict, but we're talking about a lot of things here of how we put off the old man. Does this make sense? It just happens to be that we cannot deal with conflict when we are living out, functioning in the old man. It will not go well if we are operating in our flesh. You guys get that? Our, our flesh is sinful. There's nothing in our being, in our flesh, that wants to know the Lord more. We're only drawn to the Lord and we only press on to the Lord because of the part of us that he's already in, attracted to himself. There's nothing in us that is good. That's why he had to come and die. It's why I need a savior because I'm a mess. I don't have it all figured out. Do you? Because I don't. But you know what I need? I need you just like you need me. Because the Lord is knitting us together. It's not just about let's come in and fill the seats on Sunday. This is for the corporate edification and assembly of what we're doing all throughout the week together. See, we have the unity of the faith even though when we're not in here. You guys understand that? Because we're working, running, living, trying to put away the old man, living according to the Spirit. So we're going to be continuing to talk about conflict and how to resolve it. But there, when I was uh, preparing this, I didn't have this section in the notes. I had... Like, let's just move on and deal with the practical applications of conflict. And I felt like the Lord was going, how can you talk about conflict if you can't talk about the root change and how conflict actually happens, and that's me transforming you? See, all of the things that we talk about or we will talk about in the upcoming weeks will mean nothing if we don't understand this one concept, that we have to put away the old man We have to grow in the Lord, and we do that by being in his word every single day. Every single day. And I'm counting on you to be in the word every day. You know why? Because there's going to be times where I fall.
If only J.E. was here right now to crack a joke. There are times that I fall. And the Bible says, woe to you for you who do not have someone else when you fall to help carry you, pick you up. I need you in the word. I need to know that when I call you up and I'm saying I'm going through a hard time, I need to know that I'm going to get you being transformed by the word of God. I don't want your flesh. I need to know that you're in this with me. I need to know that you're putting the face paint on every day like I am. Because this world is horrible and it's getting worse every single day. And the closer that I become to the Lord, the more and more alone I feel. Because the world hates us as we get closer to the Lord. But have comfort because the Bible says that he hated, the world hated him first. And if they hate me, then that means probably I'm doing something right, I guess. And I feel attacked a lot. But we need to stand together. We need to stand firm in the faith. And we cannot let conflict create wedges and drive us apart. Amen? And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I pray that you come to him. I've talked to my wife about this several times. It's like, man, I don't know how people do this life without the Lord. Like, I don't, I don't want to know. But I don't know how people live without the Lord. We're persecuted and we go through trials even with the Lord, right? I mean, it's like, Without the Lord, oh my gosh, we don't have any hope. So I pray that if you don't know the Lord, come to him today. Don't put it off. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that you'll be saved. And I'd say the focus is on the belief aspect of that. That you believe that you were a sinner destined for a life in hell the Bible says that all of the wages, for the wages of sin is death and all, far, all fall short of his glory. And since we were condemned to a life in hell, he stepped in and took the place on the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again. He seated at the right hand of the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit to live and dwell, transform us every single day in the sanctification process. So if you want to know him and you don't know him, then please see one of us afterwards, Mason, me, Matt. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much that words could not even express the sacrifice and what you've done to stand in our place so that we could live in right relationship with you. But Lord, I don't want it to stop there. I want to be transformed by your power every single day as I'm in your word. I'm not satisfied unless I have more of you. And if there are people here that can't quite say that yet, Lord, I pray that their prayer would be, Lord, give me the desire to want you more every single day. 
Fill me with that desire for more of you. That we would realize that we would, you know, when we we live our comfortable lives and we're all going to leave this place today, get in our cars and head on with the rest of our day. But Lord, that you you would not leave us alone, that you would disrupt us in the very best way. That we would not just go back to being comfortable, that you would bring the microscope and the light on the areas in our lives that don't belong. That we would not be satisfied with the way that things are, that we would want more of you, God, and that you would put in us the desire to be in your word every single day. There are so many lies in the world today. So many lies that people are living, believing, and it's coming everywhere. Attacking our children, The only way to combat the lies is truth. And Lord, I'm so thankful that in your word you say, I am the way and I am truth and I am life. That we can only combat the father of lies with you, your word, transforming us. So Lord, I pray that we would go out and we would not be the same. You wouldn't allow us to be the same. We love you. We thank you for your word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.